0: When I'm doing wedding prep with a couple, one of the questions I ask them is to define the word love for me. After all, you are in love, you're willing to lay down your life for this other person. What is it about love that uh, allows you to be here today? And I say, can you define love, you can describe love, you can tell me how love is in this other person. And they almost always, always tell me what they appreciate about the other person. She makes me want to be a better person. He sticks by me even when I'm having a meltdown. She understands when I blunder. They never talk about a working theory about love or the Webster's dictionary definition. They talk about a person. The passage from Corinthians, which is often used at wedding, is nice and all. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, etc. But what is that? it's like this one of the definitions for God is a distinct mode of being it's not very warm and fuzzy who can love a distinct mode of being so if you really want to know what love is then you don't want love is patient you want what I want is Aaron is patient with me when I mess up our appointment and we need to reschedule. Karen is kind when I change something at mass and forgot to tell her. Father Anthony doesn't boast. Mary isn't envious. The idea of love is best transmitted not by definitions and teachings, but by persons. One might be moved for a time by a poem or a movie or a story about love, but our socks are really knocked off when we are loved by a person. So today we are celebrating the feast of Christ, the King of the universe, the ultimate title for a superhero. And it's more than just an honorary title that we made up. Somehow it is absolutely true. It is even more true than this. In England, you have Queen Elizabeth, and in some way she embodies England. If you needed a symbol for all of England, you would point to her and say, there's England, right? And when she passes, the whole nation will go into mourning and there will be some unstableness in the country until her successor takes the throne. That's a rough analogy, although it limps terribly, but it helps make things clear. In the preface for the mass, which we are going to hear in just a couple of minutes, we're going to hear the kingdom of God described as truth and life, holiness and grace, justice, love and peace. These are all great words which we are called to live. And we can come up with all kinds of great definitions for them. We can write a legal constitution for the kingdom of God. And we could include these words and have our courts define and redefine them. And to some extent, we have that. It's called rubrics and canon law, largely for those who don't know Christ well enough. For as he said, the whole law is summed up in love. And you have to know love in order for that to work. But what is cool for us is all these words that describe the kingdom are not simply words and concepts. They are not primarily handed on by theory or definition, but by a person here on the throne in our church. It's like this. In the gospel today, we heard on the cross, they shouted at Jesus, you saved others. Save yourself if you are the Messiah. But what kind of king do we have? Not one that's interested in saving himself, but one whose first priority is to save you, to save me, to save us. That's love. So he ignored the jeers and stayed on the cross. That's truth, and that's life, and justice, and peace, and love. Could you imagine if we had a leader like that a president, a civil servant, a spouse, a pastor? What a wonderful thing when discussing something like holiness is that we don't have to point to a definition in a book, we point to this. We learn from that story, not from memorized definitions. We imitate this, we imitate the saints, not paragraphs. We learn from Abraham and that terribly trying story he had until the angel grabbed his arm and said, now I know you love God. We learn from Maria Goretti, who forgave after being stabbed in the neck. We learn from St. Stephen, who forgave the people who were stoning him under his name. You can see the stones on top of the gospel book. St. Sebastian, who so loved so deeply he faced martyrdom twice. Their warmth of their love infects us still, and their love radiates out. That love of Jesus infected them, and it radiates out to us. You know, and that's one of the proofs of God. There are different degrees of love, according to St. Thomas Aquinas. So there's the least amount of love, or not love, and then there is love itself, in which there is no fault. And we call that God. And it's not a concept, but a person, a divine person in Jesus Christ. And here we find what is expected of us. It isn't enough to teach people about love and generosity. It isn't enough to teach about truth or goodness or beauty. It isn't enough to define justice or peace or even the kingdom of God. For we were made in the image and likeness of God. And if these things emanate from him to us, then we must, be, we must personify them and they must radiate out from us to others, to be the story for others. I grew up in a parish called Sacred Heart, and a lot of the music we sang was some sacrine stuff from the 1940s. And even though it was very, very sweet music, the words were great, much better than a lot of the stuff that comes out now. And there is one song about the, sac- the Sacred Heart, the second verse of which began with this, O oh, heart for me on fire, with love no man can speak what is God's love for us our words fail us we just it's it's like a consuming fire and what does that mean point to the tabernacle it's, it's this so what does it mean to be Christian And we can give some definitions. I was baptized, I received my first communion and confirmation, I have a belief in the Trinity, but that fails to get across what it really is to be Christian, what it is to be a saint. The closer you are to this, the closer you are to being a Christian, the closer to you you being on fire, the closer you are to being a saint. And we know this because of the words that we use. On the one end, we might say, my heart is on fire for the Lord, right? And on the other hand, he that was cold, man. Others might say, sometimes we might say, you know, cold hands, warm heart, or he's got the hots for you. And other times it might be said, she has a stone cold heart. So if you are here, we know you have a love of Christ. But as one person put it this past week, are you a disciple of Christ or are you a fan? Are you on fire for the Lord or lukewarm? Is wherever you are more like the kingdom of God because of your presence? Is there more truth and holiness and justice and love and peace in your family and your workplace, at your place of employment among your friends at the Thanksgiving get-together coming up this week? Because you are there? Or does it make no difference? We can't force any of these things on others, but you can live peace and joy for yourself and be the story that might make a difference in another person's life. You can be the portal, as imperfect as you are, to help bring the kingdom of God into this world, along with God. God desires to cooperate with you within this endeavor. With some people, you will be revered. With other people, you will be crucified. But at least your life will have meaning and do some good in this crazy, confusing, and challenging world. After all, that is why you were called here today. And it's why we celebrate this feast of Christ the King, but because it gets at the crux of what really matters